everybody. Hope you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night. I know I did. Man, did I need that. I wonder, I wonder if there's any possibility we could apply for another one next week. I have a feeling I'm going to need it. But it's great to see all of you here this morning. And uh, as is already shared, today is the day we're going to be talking about how God has a plan for our lives. And uh, the last three weeks, if you're here visiting for us, uh, with us the first, for the first time, the last three weeks we've been doing a series called Guardrails. And they're everywhere around us. Uh, a lot of times we take them for granted until you need them. And then when you need them, they're a lifesaver because they save you from disaster. And what we've been doing the last three weeks is looking at this idea of guardrails and thinking about, okay, so what if we apply this principle in our lives, spiritually and morally and in relationships and in finances and in different areas of our lives, that we would put these protective barriers in our lives to avoid disaster and to help our lives go in the direction that God wants us to. Uh, and today you're going to get a special treat. I have a special guest that's going to be joining me in, in the service. As you can see, uh, me and the missus is our theme today. Uh, Laura's going to be coming up and joining me for the lesson. So I want to ask Laura to come on up. And as uh, we've been talking about uh, the last few days, the definition, the literal definition of a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous, off-limit areas. Uh, and that's the literal definition of those rails that you see, and we actually have a real one right back there, so you don't forget. Uh, but our definition, as it applies to this lesson, is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Meaning... When you sense that you're getting too close to something that can harm you, and guardrails are always placed a distance away from danger. And we're talking about placing these conscience barriers a distance away from danger so that when you rub up against them, you'll know, hey, I'm getting close. Let me back off. Mm-hmm. And it's a personal one. These aren't for everybody, and each person has their responsibility to put these in place. And uh, what we're going to be talking to today is uh, our culture. And we felt this. I'm sure you're feeling it right now. And we're coming up on the wacky season of November and December. Uh, people get a little crazy. It gets a little stressful because you've got so many things going on. But you get pulled in a lot of directions. And our culture does this. And many times it pulls us close to disaster. Our marriage and family. In a lot of different areas. But if we have those guardrails in place, we can know that we're going to be protected. Uh, But what we're going to talk about today in our lesson, Laura and myself, is kind of a a brief history of how guardrails have not only protected our marriage and family, but as also they've directed our marriage and family. Meaning, God has used those guardrails to take us down the plan and the, the purpose that He had for our lives. And as Rich mentioned this morning, specifically, God has set the times and places for men where they should live and and what they should do. God has a very specific plan for everybody. Uh, And if you're visiting here with us today, uh, I believe God has a plan for you. But it's your choice 
if you are going to walk in that plan. God's not going to force anyone, and we're going to see that in some verses today. So let's go ahead and get started with our lesson. And the first point we're going to talk about is, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? We're going to look at a passage that Jesus described the kingdom of heaven like this. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So Jesus is making a comparison. And for us, uh, we've got, uh, you know, the bank for our valuables. We've got uh, uh, one of those safety deposit boxes that you can rent from the bank. So, but at this time when Jesus was reading was culturally, what, where would you put your valuables? You would hide them in the ground. Usually people, because they lived in a society in, in, in Palestine, that area, typically there were wars and there were invasions and there were robbers. So you really couldn't keep anything in your house. We think it's not safe here now. Then it was even worse. So they would take their valuables and they'd put them in a box or in some place in a bag and they would at night go out to some place that they would hopefully remember and they would bury their treasures, their jewelry, the, the family uh, heirlooms. And they would put them in a place. And sometimes when those people died, they'd forget or no one would know where they were hidden, so they would stay there. And as many have found treasure over history, they, in, in that area, you come upon, come upon a treasure. It's like the lottery uh, today for us. But Jesus is painting this picture that imagine a guy walking along or he's working in a field and he sees this box protruding out of the ground. Or as he's digging, he finds something. And it's a treasure. And what would he do? He would buy the field and then take the treasure. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. Obviously, he had to take the initiative. He had to find it. So the description is the same. The kingdom of heaven is like this. You may have found the kingdom of heaven by coincidence. Somebody invited you. Somebody studied the Bible with you. Somebody introduced you to it. But what will you do once you've found it? This guy put a value on this. He said, it's, it's the most important and valuable thing that I have in my life. And... For me, when I found the kingdom of God at the time that I found the kingdom of God was when I was 21 years old. And for what I was going through and what I'd seen in the past 21 years of my life and then looking forward and where I was going, this was the most valuable thing I'd ever found. And in my opinion, the most valuable thing I was ever going to find. So what did I do to get in the kingdom? Everything. Whatever was necessary. It was worth everything to me. Uh, this afternoon, as already has been mentioned, Mike and Ayumi are going to be getting married uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Ask Mike and Mayumi, how much is this treasure that you're about to receive worth? Walk up to him right before the wedding and ask, hey, Mike, how much is this worth? What do you think he'd tell you? Priceless. I saw it in his eyes and in his expression last night, and Ayumi the same. It's priceless. But they are where they are because they believed in this principle that we're going to look at. So Lyra and I are going to share. And when I found this treasure, this is what was involved in it. Number one was my relationship with God. Finally knowing that I could seek Him, know Him, have a personal walk with Him. 
Not only that, have forgiveness of all my sins, all the terrible things that I've done in my life. Not only that, faith, which means confidence. Confidence to walk in my life. Love, friendship, a meaningful purpose. You know, uh, when I was in college, I had a lot of ambition to, you know, be a businessman, buy and sell stock, uh, Wall Street. The first one was out. And so you look at that and you say, man, I could make a whole lot of money buying and selling stock and become very wealthy. And I was very good at, at sales. So this changed everything. It became more about people now. And I felt such a deep sense of purpose in my life that God was calling. Direction for my living and how I would live. Adventure. Fulfillment. My first day as a disciple, I went to a conference on Latin American missions. And I, I felt the call of God. This is what He's calling me to do. So day one, wide open adventure. And then fulfillment. And then still to be continued in eternal promise of life with God after I die. So what is this worth? To me, I can't put a price tag on it. What I have now and my wife and my family and this church and what I get to do, priceless. But it's all a consequence of allowing those guardrails not just to protect me, but to direct me. And we're going to talk today about that direction. So Laura's going to share a little bit about our beginnings as singles and then how we met. Okay. Um, good morning. It's great to be with you. Peter told me you wanted me to share. I said this is my big chance to preach on Sunday. No, <laughs> I'm not going to preach for all of you. I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to share. Okay, just so that's said. Um, well, where is your treasure? That's the question. And my treasure was definitely not always in God and his church. Um, my treasure was in everything else but God. And church was not something that I thought was some, what I really wanted to be at. Um, but my treasure was in a lot of worldly things, in material possessions, um, in boyfriends. That was a big deal, a big focus. And all the sin that was a consequence of my relationships. Um, I was very, very focused on accomplishments, also success, a lot of selfish ambition. But, and even my, I had a little bit of religiosity mixed in there, which made, I saw how empty the world was and how empty just being religious was. I didn't want to be religious. That was not my goal. Um, what changed for me, and you can ask yourself, what changed for me was really understanding the cross of Jesus, the cross of Christ. And um, this scripture actually helped me. I just want to share this with the sisters, the women that are visiting. Um, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of riches, comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desires are, will pass away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. Um, that scripture really changed me, and also understanding if I invested in the world, I was going to always feel that emptiness and that lostness that I felt. When I understood the cross of Jesus, that really, really changed me. I don't know about you, but I heard since I was very small, Jesus died for you. You remember that when you were young, hearing that? But I thought, I was not there. How am I responsible for the cross of Christ? But what I, what I understood was that the cross, um, when, if you admit that you even have one sin, 
then you're separated, I, I learned, from, the, from God. You're separated because God is holy and God doesn't compromise. And he needs, we needed Jesus. So I personally needed Jesus to die for me and for my sins um, so that I could have a relationship with God. Well, I got baptized my senior year in college in May 16, 1984. That's 26 years ago. And I'm very, very thankful that I did. I immediately, I got out of the baptistry and I was like, I really want to serve. I want to give my life. I was so excited. I was so grateful that I felt like I had found true treasure. And I was really, really thankful. I think the key ingredient to know where is your treasure is what do you think about most of the time? What do you spend your time on most of the time? You know, where is your treasure? I think that's a good way for us to know. How do you spend your time and what are you engrossed in? Um, So I decided I really wanted to give my heart. So I started working in the teen ministry, which was great. I was a social worker full time, and then I would work in the teens. Now, the teen leaders, we really admire and appreciate them. They're awesome. In way back, many moons ago, if you were a teen leader, it was it still is extremely it's a great blessing. It's also extreme. You know, it can be challenging, extremely. You have to give a lot. Um, So I was a teen leader. And we, that meant I picked up teens Friday after work, and I would pick up all the teens for the teen devotional on Friday night. It meant that I, they put me in charge of the breakfast on Saturday morning for the teen leadership group that was at 7, well, 8 a.m. Um, and then our teen leader meetings would go till 2 in the morning sometimes on Sunday night with this wonderful brother, Russ Yule. <laughs> he just took a long time to explain everything yeah. he wanted to tell us. So, and I would get up Monday morning and go to work again. I'm like, okay, amen. So, but anyway, the good thing is this brother, in Flo- sometimes you can think I'm single, I'm in church, I'm trying to do what's right, and I don't see anyone that really, I really think is awesome. And, I, <laughs> and so I saw Peter, I met Peter. He moved from Florida to Boston. So if you don't, you know, see anyone right now, God can work, but you have to seek God first. God can bring them from all over, brothers and sisters. Um, but he moved from Florida to Boston, and he also was a team worker. So that really was really encouraging. We'd be in meetings together. <laughs> all of a sudden, the meetings were not so long. And I'm like, whatever, that's fine. I'm very motivated. But, but Peter had a long list of, pe- of women that he were interested in, he, and he especially wanted to marry someone Latina. And I'm not Latina. Now I am. De corazón. From the heart. God allowed me to be converted. But, um, but in my heart, everyone says, are you, are you, are you from Latin America? I'm like, no, I'm Irish, French. I'm from Boston. I'm Italian, half Italian. And, uh, but I really began to, it was not my dream to go to Latin America. But to make a long story short, because I don't want to take all the time, um, we met, and we were friends about two years, and then we started dating. Well, we did, were friends a year, dated 14 months, and we got married. And um, it was really a blessing from God, a major, major blessing. But I want to encourage you, when, you, when your treasure is, God, is first God, he is there, then he can work in your life in a powerful way. The foundation of your treasure being in God and your time being devoted to God really makes a big difference. I really think my heart was, I was decided I want to be totally devoted. And I think my devotion was a guardrail in my life because a guy in the world was not an option. 
A guy that was not wanting to serve God first was not even an option. I said, I'll wait however long it takes, but I want to marry a disciple, someone that loves God first. And my devotion, I really think my devotion, it wasn't me. It was that Jesus really motivated me. He gave everything, and I wanted to be that devoted as much as he was. All right. So there's a, thank you. There's another verse that talks about this uh, very principle that Jesus talked about. He was referring to money and worry. He says it here in Matthew 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, Jesus understood the principle of being pulled in five, ten different directions as he was. He said, but you've got to make choices. And our choice as a young, you know, couple or, or, or singles at this point was we're going to put God in his kingdom first and trust that he's going to work everything else out. That was a guardrail for us. Those served for us as protective barriers that, you know what, we're just going to put our attention on God. Instead of feeling like I have to grab things before they go and they slip through my hands, i got to make sure I get it. But rather trusting, and I remember the prayers, I remember the discussions as a single man, God, I entrust my life to you and my relationships. I'm not going to worry about who she is or where she's going to be and that maybe I'm going to miss her one day and she's going to be walking by and I'll be looking the other way like these commercials we see. You know, you've got to have this cell phone with this internet speed or you will miss... You will miss the girl, right? No, that's not the way God works. He will put it right there in front of you, and he will orchestrate everything. The amazing testimony that Ayumi gave last night was was special. Here's a Japanese young lady who's sharing at the day before her wedding, and her, her Japanese family flew all the way over for the wedding, and they're sitting there, and she shares, God orchestrated me being here in Southern California, studying at Cal Poly, getting met and invited to church, studying the Bible, getting a relationship with him, then being introduced to Mike Mead. I just see how God has worked to orchestrate these things in my life. And she said it with tears in her eye, fully confident. God loved her, had a plan for her life, and now she gets to enjoy it. Uh, And that's what Jesus is talking about. But it's a choice that we make. It's a choice that you need to make. A lot, of, a lot of places will tell you, you must do this. You don't have to do anything. It's a choice. But I promise you, if you make that choice, these, these promises that Jesus is saying, all these things will be given to you as well. Maybe not what you want, that million dollars or that flat screen TV or whatever else, your dream car, your dream house, but what you need to fill your heart, to have a life full of joy and purpose and meaning. I want to show you this photograph of us. You know, I wanted you to see... I wanted you to see the mullet. Now, this was... This was... uh, This was cool then, 1988, 1989. Had it all the way back down to the bottom of my neck. And this is, this is us uh, shortly after we had been married. The second thing we want to talk about today with you is God's plan will guide you. 
You know, uh, a week before we were to be married, our plan was to be missionaries and to go to Madrid, Spain. And I thought, man, if we, I think today, if, I, if we'd gone to Madrid, Spain, what a difference that would have made in our lives over the last 20 years. But a week before we got married, uh, the plans changed and we were going to Brazil in six months. Get married and then off to Brazil. Didn't know the language. Uh, really didn't have any close relationships with people. We knew the people, but we didn't have, we couldn't say we had close relationships. I never visited Brazil before the first visit. Uh, and and it, was a, it was an adventure. But God changed and we just trusted his plan and that he was going to work. And so we moved to Brazil, and the, the, the proverb here that we see is Proverbs 27, verse 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Where do you take refuge when you're worried, when you're concerned? A lot of people don't take refuge in God. They take refuge in vices, other things that make them feel better. But the wise, the prudent, take refuge in God, but the simple keep on going and pay the penalty. Now, today's an opportunity to, for you today to make some choices about what you're going to do. And over the last few weeks, as we've talked about guardrails, they're not only going to protect your life in certain areas, they're going to direct your life. But you must follow them and you must take refuge in them. Another verse we're going to look at is Psalm 25 in verse 8 through 11 and then 12 through 14. But let's look at 8 through 11 first. It says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His ways. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of His covenant. For the sake of Your name, Lord Forgive my iniquities, though it is great. And then in verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity. And their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him, and He makes His covenant known to them. What do you gain from this verse here? But the the first verse here that you see is he instructs the who, he guides the who? The humble. You know, for us to allow God to guide us and where we were going to live and where we go, it required great trust in God and great humility. We are your servants, God. And wherever you want to send us, we will go. And we will trust. Uh, and, And it was amazing to see how and this not only affected us, but it affected, as he says here, their descendants will inherit the land. Meaning, they're going to receive the blessing. What you do, your children will do. And they will follow. And so, I wanted Laura to share about this experience of moving to Brazil and living in Latin America. Okay. Um, well, I really believe that God desires deeply to guide our lives. Um, when I was, I want to just go back a little bit. When I was a freshman in college, I had a boyfriend, and he, I worked at a health club, and he wanted, he drank a lot. He was very wealthy, but he drank a lot, and he was kind of living the wild life. And um, he asked me one night, why don't you stay at the bar? There was a bar upstairs, and he said, stay, and, you know, we'll go home later, because I got off work, and he said, just stay. 
So I said, I'm not going to stay. I'm just, I want to go home. I'm not going to, you know, although many other times I had stayed. And um, that particular night, he was pouring. He got drunk. And um, at 1 in the morning, he drove home from the health club, and his car, he was going about, they think, 80, 70 or 80 miles an hour, and he crashed his car into a tree head-on, and he died that night at 1 in the morning. I got a call at 6 in the morning, and this was a steady boyfriend, you know, pretty steady for whatever that was worth at the time. But it was very, very shocking to me and very, very sad that he, at 21 years old, he lost his life because of living in the fast lane. One too many times he was drinking and driving. So his brother called me at 6 a.m. and told me that he had died the night before. Um, it was devastating. And what it did was that marked a time in my life. After that, I said I would go to church. I did go to church. And I prayed, God, guide my life. Please guide my life. I see that life and death is like that. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. It does, you know, every single day is a gift. Um, and so I, decided, I really prayed, and I really believe God did guide my life through after, as I shared my senior year in college. It took me a while to get humble. To really get, still after praying that, I still wasn't humble enough to allow God to work. But by my senior year in college, I was ready to really give my life to God. So I just want to encourage you, especially the women, there are so many promises from God. If you are allowing him to guide you, there are many, many promises. Therefore, you don't have to be afraid. Um, in Pro- I just want to read a couple of them. Proverbs 11.6 says the righteousness of the upright saves them. But the treacherousness of the, are, the treacherous are taken captive. Proverbs 11:8. The righteous are delivered from trouble, but the wicked get into it instead. Proverbs 11:28. Those who trust in their riches will eat, will wither, but the righteous will flourish like green leaves. I've seen that you can't outgive God. When you do what's right, there are only good things in store, even though you'll go through hard times. So we were married in Boston. And five months later, we, you know, the plan changed two weeks before we got married from Spain to Brazil. I'm like, okay, what language do they speak there? That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> so we, we decided we're gonna, they wanted us to go to Brazil. So we moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And um, I was accustomed to having a car, and I took the, I was, then I took the bus all over the place. We learned Portuguese. We trained. We then moved to, after one year in Sao Paulo, we moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, to plant the church there. Um, it was really very scary for all the women. I know there's a lot of fear, but sometimes when God's guiding you, you still have to step out on faith. He can't, you know, got a lot of people, women I meet especially, they want God to guide them, but their feet are cemented to the floor. They're like, God can't guide you if you're not willing to step out. You need to be willing to step out, which means take advice, which means be willing to serve and do things that you don't think you can do. I was a conservative Bostonian, and I went to Brazil. I'm like, these women are, whoa, they're very amazed. They amazed me, their drama and their, but their expressiveness. So I thought, I'm going to have to change a lot to even get their attention. They're not even going to know, listen to me. But anyway, so we went from Rio de Janeiro to Mexico City, trained in Portuguese and trained in Spanish. We were in Mexico for a short time. Then they wanted us to leave the church in Bogota, Colombia. We went to Bogota, Colombia, and we went, and they were having a power outage. They had eight hours a day of no electricity. Now, mind you, when I flew into Bogota, Colombia, I'd never been there before, and we were flying in to move there. And every time we went anywhere, they said, you're going to be here five to ten years. It always changed, but that's what originally was said. So we move in, and we, we went to the, downtown the city, and the people are warming themselves over fires in the trash cans. 
And I thought, this is like something from the movies. You know, it was totally scary that the lights went out at 5 o'clock on the dot when everyone got out of work, so all the traffic lights didn't work. And um, it was really chaotic at times. But through all that, God definitely guided us. He totally took care of us. The first week in Bogota, Colombia, um, the hotel, we had to stay in this little hotel. There was, fi- there was gunfire right next door to our window. There was a fight, and there was gunfire. Um, also, in Mexico, there was gunfire again right beside our house. Our neighbor's car was getting stolen, so he had a gun, so he fired at the robber. The robber, of course, fired back. It was really crazy. Our neighbor in Mexico City got shot and killed. Um, the maid the next day was, like, what, you know, cleaning the blood off the sidewalk. At all of these points, I thought, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to stay? Um, the smog in Mexico City was extremely heavy. I mean, my kids, they don't remember. They're fine now. God's taken care of them. But they were sick all the time. The smog was your throat would burn, your eyes would burn. Mexico City is 22 million people in a lake, what used to be a lake bed. It's ama- I love the people. I love the city. But it's very hard to live there when you're, I think, not used to it. Peter would have bronchitis all the time. There was always kidnappings. There was... It was a constant stress of insecurity and really having to pray God guide us and protect us. But we lived there eight years in Mexico. We lived ten years in Latin America. And I can honestly say I wouldn't trade that for anything. Despite all the challenges, God blessed the church in Bogota from ten. The Bible talk, we were only there six months, and there was 80 people, members, at the end of six months. Imagine if your Bible talk went grew like that. It was very encouraging. The church in Mexico grew amazing to from 500 and something to 4,000 members when we left. God really worked. But I want to ask you today, um, especially the women, are you willing to step out on faith with not just your life, but your children's life? I took my children, you know, to these places while they were born in Mexico. But I think it can't stop there. Like, we have to be willing to continue to trust God with our children, with our own lives, and step out on faith for the sake of Jesus. And for Jesus' message, because it's really, really worth it. But I just wanted to encourage you that you can't outgive God. God will give, I can think, well, I gave all this. God gives so much more. You cannot outgive Him. He is so faithful when you are devoted and you go, you come, you come to the meetings of the body when you don't feel like it. You're devoted and you allow God to guide you through people and through His Word. Thank you. Great. Um, you know, when we talk about these, uh, these changes and these transitions that we went through moving from different countries, there were constants in all of these places. Right shortly after we moved to Brazil, uh, we were part of a faith group, a small group. And that group became uh, a relational point for us. And we, we are a church of, of circles, not of rows. Obviously, we're meeting in rows today, but we believe in the principle of being in a small group, in a faith group. Because these are the places where you can get bonded and, and really, truly practice Christianity, loving one another. Uh, I can remember our faith group in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the people that were baptized in that faith group. I can remember the faith group that we had in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, sometimes we would meet out on the beach uh, for our, our faith group meetings. And we'd have visitors. I can remember the people that were studying the Bible and converted in that small group. Uh, I remember our, our first small group uh, in Mexico City where uh, our neighbors uh, were baptized that lived across the street, then their family members next door, and other people a few blocks away that were, 
were baptized and brought. But th- that, those places provided us with a relational point. Uh, and and I, I believe that, you know, it was incredible, the ride with the, 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 the thousands of people that were saved. But throughout, the constant was we had relationships with people in those small groups. It was a place where you could be vulnerable and get connected. And, you know, if I was having a bad time, uh, there was brothers that I could talk to. Or if I was not doing well, Laura could talk to those brothers and, hey, could you encourage him or help him or, you know. Uh, so we both had those relationships around us, very much unlike today. Today, people are islands. If you're visiting here with us today, I'd ask you, who do you meet with on a regular basis to talk about your life and to get input on, you know, the direction of your life and and just just friends, real friends that you can have real talks about things. And we had that throughout. Another constant was our uh, our quiet times. You know, in these places where quiet time is, a, is a, an individual personal time in the morning where you pray and you read your Bible and you, you, you speak to God and then, then you, God speaks to you through His Word. Those were constants in our lives in other places of the world. Sometimes we would read our, in our quiet times the, the Bible in Portuguese uh, or in Spanish. But it gave us great security. God, you're with me. And those moments of anxiety... And I can remember the fear that would grip my heart uh, Sunday afternoon when that shooting happened. We came home from church, you know, Sunday afternoon, just like today. And there's a shooting outside of our house. And this is a residential area. It's not like, you know, it wasn't the projects or anything like that. It wasn't a rough area. This was a normal. But this is the kind of place where we live. It was volatile. Uh, And I remember the fear gripping my heart. But then going to God, and we would pray every night with our family on our knees, God, protect our lives, protect our families, because we feel the shadow of danger around us a lot. Uh, And he was faithful. Uh, I remember when we moved to to Rio de Janeiro, 40% of our membership of the church were assaulted either at gunpoint or at knife point. That was life. There was a, when we moved there, there was a State Department advisory. Do not travel to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It is dangerous. It is not safe for American travelers. And my father made sure that I, I knew about it, but he made sure that I, I knew that. He said, you know you're moving to one of the most dangerous places and the U.S. government is deterring people from visiting there and you're going to live there? I said, yeah. And he was right. And the State Department was right. But you know, none of our members suffered harm. There were guns and knives, but they gave over their possessions. They said, you know, nothing is worth losing my life over. Uh, And then they would share their faith with the assailant. (laughs) So why don't you come to church and find true purpose to your life? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know. uh, I know that for a fact that one of the uh, cartel heads in Colombia came to church one time. I didn't know. But we converted a young man who was a part of that ring. Uh, and his boss came just to check us out. I, I felt a little afraid after I heard he was there. I didn't, good thing I didn't know who he was. But these people kill for nothing. And there they were in our church. Uh, but these little things and also having people in our lives to give us uh, input about decisions that we made. So as we were living there, um, these guys came along in Mexico City. Lauren and, and Nick were born in Mexico City, little chilangos, chilaquiles. They were little Mexicans. 
You know, and this brought another element of, of fear. Okay, it's not only just about us. We were willing to live in danger, but now these are our children. Uh, and getting on the school bus. Uh, we lived in the number two capital for kidnapping in the world. Bogota was number one in the world. Mexico City was number two. So we went from number one to number two. <laughs> And we would hear stories within the church and the people, and it would be on the news all the time that so-and-so was kidnapped. Uh, and so it was a reality. But again, guardrails protect and direct. And our kids had a great, although the, you know, there was pollution and everything, they had great friends mm-hmm. in the church. They spoke perfect English and perfect Spanish, probably better Spanish than English. <laughs> Yeah. Sad to say they've lost a lot of it, but we have a plan for they can get it back uh, soon. <laughs> Shipping them all over. But then we add another addition to the family. Um, but, you know, just how God took care of our family in every aspect. Uh, when you entrust, and this is probably the most valuable things that I have in my life or my, is my family and my children. Who would I entrust those to? Myself? I wouldn't even trust, entrust myself with my family, but I would entrust God. Amen. And that gave me a great sense of security. It gave us a great sense of security. All those years living in dangerous places, we would pray every night, God, watch over us. Keep us safe. And He was faithful uh, with us. And then the last point we have today is living life to the full. Living life to the full. John 10.10, 10, Jesus shares this verse. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not half, not three quarters, full life. And I can honestly say, if I were to pass tomorrow, I've had a full life. God has blessed me with a full life. We've had a full life. Uh, It's overwhelming to sit back and think of all the experiences that we've had and are still having that we get to be a part of a wedding like Mike and Ayumi and help this young couple, you know, have what we have and just get on that 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 road to adventure and purpose and lives being changed. What an excitement that we get to pass that on. And I'm sharing all this with you today because I believe God has a plan for you specifically. Maybe it's not to go to Brazil or Japan or Africa, but there is a plan. And it's our responsibility to find and live out that plan through God and through seeking a relationship with Him. But He's talking about these two kingdoms that are at war. And we've been talking about some destructive stuff in the last few weeks with guardrails, uh, how friends, the wrong friends, can oftentimes ruin our lives, as Laura just shared. If she had jumped in that car with her boyfriend that night, mm-hmm. she wouldn't be alive today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had similar situations where I was driving as a teenager under the influence and crashed, but walked away. But I believe God spared my life and continues to spare my life because He's got a plan. And He spared your life too. I know some of you could come up here and you could share your story about the way you were saved. What have you done with that? How have you returned that favor that God has given you of protecting your life back to Him and entrusting your life to Him uh, and, and living for Him instead of yourself 
And this, this is his plan. It's not to weigh us down with rules and you got to go to church and, and you got to do this and you got to do that. No, no, this is, we're talking about a full life. And it all fits together. Another verse that talks about uh, this very point is 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and who else? People around you. Your neighbors, your friends. And God's given us the opportunity to help people around us. Mm -hmm. But they weren't convinced by our words. They were a lot of times convinced by who we were. And spending time with us. Uh, And so we've got to look at it. And I want to ask you today to look at your life. None of us are perfect. And I want you guys to know we are not putting ourselves up here as the the epitome of perfection. By no way, shape, or form. Uh, We're still a work in progress, as I'll show you later. Um, But there's so much at stake with our lives. And I'm going to let Laura share a little bit about uh, having our kids and that whole experience. Um, Life to the full. I've heard it said that if you become a Christian, your life will be boring. Heard that said a couple of times. I want you to know that is not true. I long for moments of boredom. I'm not, that is not at all true. That's a lie of Satan. Your life is anything but boring when you become a Christian. But sometimes we don't want as full a life as we have. We think, okay, that's, thank you, I'm full, quite full enough. And uh, I want to encourage you that when you're really a true Christian, you can have a really full life. And, and to me, full means being involved in other people's lives also and seeing them change. Um, I want also, I turned 48 a couple of months ago, and I want to encourage you, because some of us are in our 40s, 50s, and I know you tend to evaluate our lives and go, well, that's nice that you went there and that you did that. I didn't do that, and I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know. But I want to encourage you that it's never too late. If you're sitting here today, you have an opportunity to have a full life with God. Um, because you can pray, you can meet someone tomorrow that could impact, you know, some, another country. We don't know. And I just want to encourage you, I met this woman in Mexico on a bus, and she was Cuban, and because of her and her husband, she became a Christian. Her, we sent the mission team to Cuba, Havana, Cuba, when we lived in Mexico, because of one woman that we really, she opened a door for us there, allowed us to. But I want to encourage you with that. And I want to encourage the women that your children are, are part of our ministry. They're not a separate thing that I have the ministry of what God wants me to do, and I have my kids. Um, you know, Lauren and I many years ago made a pie for my neighbor together. And um, because of that pie, the neighbor then sent me a pie back two months later, and I thought it was the same pie. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so weird. But she copied the recipe. But anyway, So she became a Christian. Her husband became a Christian. Her mother, her father, her brother, her sister. And she's still bearing fruit. They're still a faithful couple. And we would have them over to have family devotionals with us. We have people over just to do what we're going to do anyway. We would do family devotionals. And um, we would, it would be great. We'd sing and share scriptures when they were littler smaller and we and we'd invite people to be with us and you can do it at any age and with nicholas he doesn't mind me sharing this i didn't ask him um when he was potty training um (laughs) several years ago when he was really little um we i was always going to the bathroom with him i mean constantly having to take him to the bathroom which was fine but um 
Anyway, so I took him to the bathroom. There was this woman in the bathroom. And so we shared our faith, Nicholas and I. He was only like three. But, um, and we shared our faith. And, he, and she became a Christian. Her mother became a Christian. Her boyfriend became a Christian. They were able to have a Christian marriage. Peter married them. Um, several, few, several years ago. But I want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity so you can have life to the full. And you never know how you're going to do it. And um, being part of the ministry, even in, in Orange County for a while, my neighbor became a Christian that was Buddhist. She was a doctor in pharmacology. She was Buddhist. And she said, Laura, my life is empty. My marriage is about to fall. It's, we're about to get a divorce. Lauren and I just went to her house to say hi, to invite women to Women's Day, and she and her husband became disciples, Christians. So I just want to encourage you that um, to have, you know, that attitude, a lot of, of just going for it and just being open and get advice if you haven't gotten advice on how to make the priorities of God, your marriage, and then your children. But involve your kids. And I w- just want to leave, close with this. Um, a lot of women say, my children have to be in bed by 8.30, 9 o'clock, every night. I'm like, okay. Um, what, I want to ask you, what do you want your kids to remember about you? My mom always made sure we were in bed by 9 o'clock. Or my mom would go to church, and my mom really loved God. And she even allowed us to sacrifice sometimes so that we could go to church. And I just want to encourage you, the women, that you're... You're, sometimes we think as women, ah, it's not, I'm just one person, I'm not making a big difference. Your life and your devotion to God makes a big difference to your children and to those around you. And I just want to encourage you that our next generation, I really believe, needs to see women that are passionate about doing God's will. That it's not like, okay, I have to. Um, yeah, I just put in my 30 minutes, I'm out of here. No, but I'm passionate. I want to do this. I don't have to. After everything Jesus went through... I hope that we can have that life to the full attitude that I want to do it for God. I just want to share one last scripture. This was my theme scripture of kind of it's like my favorite scripture. Um, Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to encourage you that if your joy and your delight is in God, he will give you desires that you didn't even know you had. He, I didn't know I wanted to speak Spanish. But then once I did, I'm like, oh, okay, muy bien, me gusta eso. I thought, oh, and then Portuguese, I definitely did not want to speak Portuguese, but my heart was not to go to Latin America, but I've changed. I'm a changed person because of learning to love. The Latin culture changed me. It had a lot that I did not have. So being with people that you would normally not be friends with, you think, you go, okay, I'll be, they're in my Bible talk, they're in my faith group, but we're very different. Amen. That's a good thing. That's good. But if you delight yourself in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's not too late now. He still wants to give you the desires of your heart. Maybe you need to write them down or think about what they are still. What are your dreams still? Because God wants to accomplish those things. But we love you very much. And as Peter said, we definitely want to continue to grow. We fall short weekly. We have marriage bumps weekly. (laughs) Um, We have children bumps weekly, Um, but we keep trying to repent, but we really, really want to continue growing and we need you and God needs you so that his purposes can be fulfilled. And his, my whole, my goal or my desire is that Jesus's name can be lifted up in the East and that he can be honored in this area of the city. But we love you very much. Thank you for hearing us.
Well, uh, let's kind of wrap, wrap this up together as, as we've shared. And I, I want to be very specific. When it comes to family, there are a lot of missed priorities today. And I see it a lot with families uh, getting fully invested in sports. Uh, in, in the city where we live in Claremont, we, we dabbled in sports. I managed uh, teams and coached teams. And, but I would see these families that would dedicate everything to that sport. Travel teams, uh, you know, practice every day. Uh, just amazing. And I would oftentimes feel that pull. Hey, I need to do that with my son so that he can be successful in his sport. But oftentimes we had to make very hard choices. Now, I'm not going to invest in that. I'm going to invest in God and His kingdom. Those same families that I know of years later, they're no longer together in their marriage. The son is not playing that sport anymore. Uh, is no longer playing any sport. And basically, all that money and time was wasted. And the casualty is a family is split. And I'm not talking about one example. I'm talking about several examples of this. In our little town of Claremont, California. Just in one generation. I can't even imagine the generations before and the generations after that time. You're going to be pulled as a family to go in a lot of different directions with your children. You've got to make choices. I'm not saying this. God is saying this. You make the right choices and you will be blessed and your children will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. We don't have the model marriage, but I could say we have a good marriage. And I'm very grateful for what we have. We don't have the model children, but me and my perspective and how I look around, we got really good children. And they're, they're doing their best to be what they need to be. But you've got to make choices about sports, about activities. And is the kingdom of God going to be first in your life? The promise is true. If it is, He will bless you. He will take care of you. Uh, and it is a choice. No one's forcing it. And as I shared earlier, uh, we as a family and most of us here in this church are a work in progress. Excuse our dust sometimes. <laughs> Because we're working on life. And that's what today is all about. It's not a judgment. It's a tool for you. So that you can make some choices. And our hope, our desire is that you will be blessed. And in conclusion, we're going to look at a passage. But I wanted to share this quote from Abraham Lincoln. Thanks to my wife, she reminded me of this quote. A child is a person is going to carry on what you have started. He is going to sit where you're sitting. And when you are gone, attend those things that you think are important. You may adopt all the policies you please, but how you are carried out, how they are carried out depends on him. He will assume control of your cities, meaning your children, States and nations. He's going to move in and take over your churches, schools, universities, and corporations. The fate of our nation is in His hands, meaning our children. So train Him well. What we do today will affect what our children do. 
If we're all over the place with different priorities and our life is chaos and we let the world dictate how we spend our time and what we're going to be involved in and we're getting pulled in ten different directions, guess what's going to happen to our children? Very much the same. But if we set a course for our lives, this is what I'm going to be devoted to because I believe it is the best devotion and best investment of my time and my life. Our children will do the same. And I believe this is a good example of following God. It is the example. Because as I look around at some of our families, some of our elders, I want that for my family. And that's what we're talking about. In conclusion, let's read together. If you brought your Bible, let's get it out. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 14. You know, what does a shepherd do? And I'll ask for uh, audience participation. What, what is the role of a shepherd? Take care of the flock the people. or people. What else? He's got a staff, right? What does he do with that staff? He guides. One gets out of the flock, you know, uses that staff, move them back in. He protects the flock from danger. If a vicious animal comes and wants to attack one of the members of the flock, he uses that staff again. And he will defend that flock. Jesus describes himself for us, for our lives, for our families. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Do you have a shepherd for your soul? Do you have a shepherd for your family? Do you have a shepherd for your marriage? I can honestly say today that I do. Jesus is my shepherd. And all these things that we share with you today is the reason we entrusted our life. The day we got baptized, we entrusted our lives to Jesus. We said Jesus is going to run the show. His purpose, His plan... What he, what he thinks is important and is a priority is going to be a priority to us. His word, prayer, meetings of the body, people instead of things. But he's done an incredible job shepherding our family and our marriage. And I trust he will continue to do that. And any time we've gotten off, guess what he does? He brings us back in. Mm-hmm. He uses people and circumstance to use that rod to bring us back in. Sometimes it's painful. But it sure is a secure feeling to know somebody's watching out for me. Jesus was worth our trust. Why? Because He laid down His life for us. He died on the cross. And that's something that you have to accept. It's my faith. It's my confidence that Jesus died for me. I believe that. But that's something you've got to come to faith in. All of us, personally. Uh, and studying the Bible is a great way to do that. But right now we're going to celebrate the communion. I mean, we're going to remember Jesus and His body. It's something that He asked us to do. To remember what He did for us. 
to remember how much He loves us, to remember His sacrifice so that we would entrust ourselves to Him. I don't know where you've been this week. I don't know what kind of month or year you've had so far, but this is an opportunity for you to start over, to make a decision. Jesus, I will allow you to be my good shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to talk to you, to pray to you, and we're thankful that we can meet together today like this in Jesus' name. We're thankful that we have his word that teaches us how to live, teaches us how to have the right priorities, that teaches us about guardrails, and that we will not only be protected but directed. I pray that today that you will forgive us for our failures and our shortcomings and bring us back, God, from wherever we are going astray. Help us as families to worship together and, and to, to seek you and, and do what's right together. Not as the world is pulling us in five different directions, God. Help us to maintain your priority that you are the most important thing in our lives. Father, thank you for Jesus' death, his suffering, his blood that was shed on the cross for us. I pray that it will always motivate us to give our best back to you. Thank you, God, that we have a shepherd in you. We love you. Bless this communion. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.